less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. All right, Larry, how's it going? It's going great. Great, great weather, so... great golf weather. Yeah, you've been playing golf recently? I played yesterday in a charity tournament. Okay. I sure did. Where at? At uh, played at Kicking Bird in Edmond. I played. Okay. The, it was a UCO ch- yeah. uh, charity for their golf team. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very nice. You're a big golfer. I'm six foot three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like did that. you buy any mulligans? They weren't selling mulligans. Oh, but you would. <laughs> but I would have if we if, if <laughs> they, they were available. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, we're really excited to have you here. Um, I think that this is going to be one of the most helpful episodes for a lot of the cash flow contractors out there. I think so, We're too. all about less stress, more time, more money. Um, as you know, there's a lot of stress, not a lot of time, and usually a shortage of money for most business owners that haven't thought about exiting, that haven't thought about right. selling the business, which is what you do. You're a business broker, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about who you are and, well, and Real quickly, do. Larry, just to preface the whole thing, Larry made a statement to me some months ago that everybody is going to exit their business. Yeah. They're going to exit it. You're going to go broke. You're going to die. Or you're going to do something constructive like sell it or merge it. But you are going to exit your business. This isn't a choice. It's a choice of how you do it. So yeah. having said that, let Yeah. So, so we all know that there are two, two things that are definite in this world. One is taxes mm-hmm. and one is death. <laughs> but for business owners, there's a third. And that is that, that someday they're going to leave their business. And they're either going to do that on purpose or they're not going to do it on purpose. Yeah. And so that's what we try and do is help them do that on purpose. Well, can you tell us a little bit about you and Becky and you bet. and how you got into this and well, <clears throat> what you describe your business as? Sure. So Becky and I, Becky was the, Becky and all of her family uh, graduated from Baylor University, came here, she came here uh, back in the day, as my son says, uh, was, was one uh, hired by the Treasury Department to examine national banks. And in those days, people were starting to, to have to hire a woman. And she was one of 22 bank examiners. And I was a sales manager with a company, office, uh, National Office Machine Dealership. Her father had been a uh, business owner. He owned a lumber company. And, and, and so she had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit about her. I'd always, I'd been in a couple of businesses that I started, not very successful, but small ones. And I, we wanted to be in a business. And we found a company that uh, and moved to Corpus Christi, Texas. We didn't have any money, uh, but in those days when you worked for the federal government, uh, you didn't contribute to Social Security, you contributed to the federal retirement program, and when you left, you got that money back. And we used that to, to, uh, not for a down payment, but just to sustain ourselves. We had a startup down there working with physicians and dentists. What were you you doing for that? So what we were doing, it it was a practice management business. And we were helping uh, physicians and dentists and some veterinarians organize their practice to become more successful. That was pre-computer days. So this was 1975. Wow. And so uh, to give you an example, Becky designed a color-coded system for the files 
And in South Texas, there's a lot of Medicaid and Medicare, and, and Medicare because of the winter Texans that, that come down there from Wisconsin ah, and Michigan and whatever. And so, and the doctors weren't making any money, and they were seeing patients all day long, and they, they were complaining they just weren't making money. Well, so Becky got in the, in the files and started seeing all of these file folders full of insurance claims that they hadn't filed <laughs> because their staff just didn't know how to do it. And so she developed a color coding system to, and Martin, you would love this, current, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days and over uh, that the, the, the patient hadn't paid or the patient's insurance company hadn't paid because they weren't filed. Interesting. So Becky started that kind of process and they started, money started coming in and Becky started doing a quarterly report and so we would have a clinic of six or eight doctors, and when Becky was scheduled to come in to give that quarterly report, every single one of them were there with their wives because they were just starting to really cash see in. See the benefits. And, and see the yeah. benefits. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, just in passing, uh, my wife's in the medical field, and the same thing of not collecting insurance is absolutely still going on mm -hmm. yeah many many practices but anyway that's an assignment so that still was there. 1975 in 82 um, i just decided that corpus christi is where we lived and all of south texas down to the rio grande valley area was where was was our customer base i just wanted to come back <clears throat> i had been in the military that was the only time i'd been away uh, from oklahoma other than that uh, and so i thought well i'll sell the business and I, I lucked in to sell, sell your business. Sell your business. Sell your business. Sell my business, that's right. And I did it. And then we began looking at, at what could we do here. And I thought, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty good salesman. I may go into commercial real estate. We looked at Schlotzky's. Uh, we looked at a bunch of different things. <laughs> and then one day I'm reading the Wall Street Journal, and there's an ad for a company that's franchising, selling franchises, and selling businesses. And I thought... Well, she'd already know how to do that. You know? <laughs> I did it once, and uh, and so uh, so I flew to Boston and interviewed with this uh, with this company that was franchising, and uh, they had a franchisee out in Phoenix. So I flew there to talk to that guy and see how it was going. He was doing great, so I thought, well, you know, I think I may do that. So I did, uh, and uh, three years into it, I learned a lot, uh, but they went bankrupt. And so I was uh, incorporated under the Hughes Group, DBA, then this company, VR Business Brokers. And uh, so I just kept, I just kept the, the Hughes Group and just kept, kept going. And, uh, just approximately, I think I know the number, how many businesses have you sold? We're approaching 700. And mostly on behalf of the seller. On behalf, and, and Usually. 99%, once in a while I'll do something for, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work with a private equity group to find a business, but not very much. I just want people to understand that you're listening. It'll be apparent anyway, but that they're listening to the voice of experience. It, this, isn't, this isn't theory. And I'd like to ask you a question. I know you recall how we met. Yes. And I want people to know Khalil, this guy. I am still bitter. I had a great client, okay, and I was working with him and making some money, and then this guy comes in. He's a great guy, but he sells the damn company to a hedge fund, and the hedge fund 
Well, private equity firm. Yeah, private equity. And they didn't need a coach. <laughs> so I'm out of business. Can, can so, you tell them a little bit about that guy? And so, so yes, I will. So I walk in and I have a meeting and at, with, with the owner who is at that time about 74, 75 years old. And if you saw him on the street, you'd, you would give him some money. Hopefully he could go buy a Coke or, or something like that. That's how he looked. And he had a very successful business. Genius. But I walk into the conference room and they're on the board. The whiteboards were all around and there were goals, there were items to do, things. And I thought, well, this company's pretty progressive on their goal setting and all those. And he said, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. He said, that's, 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 that guy's Martin's work. And uh, so anyway, that was the first time I'd heard of it. <laughs> what about the selling part of it? Well, he was- okay, so, so um, I was referred in by, uh, by uh, his attorney. And, uh, and he told me, he said, Larry, uh, look, you seem like a nice person, but I don't need you. I have a, a customer that offered me $8 million cash. And he said, that's a lot of money. And I said, well, it is a lot of money, but how do you know that's the right number? And he said, well, I don't know. It's just a lot of money. And I said, well, wouldn't you like to know that you're getting everything, the full value out of your business before you take that money? And he said, yeah. So he hired us to, to value the business first, which is what we right. always do first, is value the business. And, uh, and so we, we did, we valued it. And uh, it took us quite a while because his financials for a successful business making millions of dollars, he had his, his financials were terrible. He had issues with bookkeeping and financial? <laughs> He's a... What? I've never heard <laughs> about How could that happen? How could that happen? <laughs> get back to Cliff here in just a minute, but you said uh, valuing your business. And when people come to you, maybe they already have this, but when people come to me or when I'm just talking to people, I think a lot of business owners, it never crosses their mind that their businesses have value. Do they? Yeah, so the, what, what happens to a business owner is he knows all of the uh, issues in his business. He knows the problems upside down and and whatever. And he cannot imagine that really somebody else would want all those problems. <laughs> so he doesn't, he really, really, most people never go through that process. Now, if they have a good advisor that's helped them, then many will. But that guy out there, the majority of them don't. And they think it's like selling their house. Well, yeah. so much so much per square foot. Yeah, real real estate inventory. Yeah, and maybe a customer list. Or yeah, something that's like right. That. And 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 so uh, so my wife is a, is a, a, a senior member of the ASA, the American Society of Appraisers, and and the ASA is kind of that if they're if she's doing an appraisal or when she used to do appraisals. Uh, for an estate planning client, for example, the IRS, if they look at that appraisal and see that it was done by a ASA designated person, they kind of rubber stamp it. And that's so that's the weight that that designation carries. And not going too far into the weeds, why does it matter what the IRS says? Well, so so on on it matters quite a bit depending on the purpose of the appraisal. So if they're doing an appraisal and they're going to gift some stock, for example, or gift some ownership to 
a, a family member or maybe a key employee, it has to it has to measure up to the IRS rules and regulations. Mm, okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's something most people aren't aware of. That, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, yeah, that's exactly that's why, right. Yeah, advisors. Yeah. And one, one thing too. I, I don't usually, I call you Larry Hughes. I don't usually call you Larry Hughes business broker because I think there's a kind of a connotation. Um, how do you describe yourself? Do you say broker? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, so uh, there are a lot of people that are, that are uh, been, all, been out of shape about nomenclature and what they want to be called, and, th- and people want to be called an M&A specialist. Which uh, is mergers and, and acquisitions. Inv- that's right, or investment bankers and things like that. But, you know, if a business owner is Googling someone like me, they Google business broker. Now, so, but what I tell people is that I help my business owner clients plan and execute the, the probably the most significant financial event of their lives, and that's mm-hmm. the sale and transition out of their business. I don't really care what they refer to me at, but I, but I have no problem uh, talking, being a, a business broker, even though a broker does, uh, there is some, some connotation to it. But, you know, it's what you do for that person and how you do it that matters, not what you're called. Right. Yeah. So as you're, you've over 700 businesses, you've sold them um, as you're working with the business owner. What are the most common reasons that people are selling? I mean, I'm sure you've come across lots of different reasons. What are the most common? Well, so everybody thinks uh, that, well, gosh, it would be health or just age maybe. You know, right. Inc. Magazine did a study some years back, and the number one reason was burnout. Oh, so, yeah. so so here's here's why that happens, uh, Khalil, and that's a very good question. But the, the, the reason that happens is that when a guy starts a business, or I say a guy, and, yeah, and I'm using lady. that in gen- generic yeah. terms, when a person, I should say, starts a business, they usually have debt, hmm. and they're working, and they're and they're growing the business. And each Friday, when they make payroll, they're not sure they're going to make it. Yeah, and they're worried about that. And then as they grow, then payroll maybe isn't quite the issue but buying new equipment is. And they're going back to the bank with their hat in their hand, so to speak, to try and get money to upgrade their equipment or buy new equipment because now they've got a contract with somebody that requires them to be able to produce a certain amount of product. And then you have the government, whether that might be city, state, or federal government that that has certain rules and regulations that they have to adhere adhere to. And then they have a key employee that they've kind of thinking, boy, this person is really growing in stature in the business. My wife and I, I think we're going to be able to take off and take some of those vacations and get away, and that guy leaves. Mm. And so the pressure and, and to start something from scratch and grow it, it takes a lot out of, out of somebody. Usually, I find in somewhere in that 10 to 12-year period, from the time a guy starts to get a business, worn out. they start thinking about, how long do I want to do this? Yeah. Do what I like to sell. So that's what causes that stress factor. But other reasons are age. The age is, is one of the reasons. Uh, and health is one. Yeah. And uh, uh, so... A number of years ago, I, I got a call from a CPA, and he said, uh, w- Larry, would you help 
my client, he needs to sell. He's had four heart attacks, and he really needs to sell. And and uh, so I went to visit the guy. He had a little manufacturing company. Uh, uh, if you've ever seen Cox Cable out there standing in those buckets working on yeah. the lines, yeah. that was that was his major product that he made. His business had had come from a million eight in revenues to six hundred thousand because he'd had four heart attacks. And guess what? I found him doing in the parking lot when I drove up. He was out there Work. smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And so. Um, Actually, I put together a group, and we bought that business, and within two years, he and his wife both had died man, man. Because, and, and because of that. So so health reasons are a, a really good reason. When you see those health situations, do you think it's pri- not maybe not primarily, but at least in some way contributed to stress from the business? Yeah, the, well, it, and definitely, and, and that's true, and there's a lot of science behind that, yeah. uh, that, that stress does cause... And so I think it's interesting because, you know, we're going to dive into the selling the business a lot or what it takes to sell a good business. But I would also venture to say that it's not just smart for your cash out at the end, but it's also smart for your health while you're doing your business because you're seeing it firsthand how people are stress is causing their life, their health to deteriorate. That That's exactly right. And, and uh, so preparing that business planning yeah. to sell that business is is so important and that's one reason is mm-hmm. is to to prevent those kinds of things mm-hmm. one of the parallels I'll draw a little later but I want to mention it now because I'll probably forget it but is when you build a business to sell you are also building a business that you might choose to keep because if it's making extraordinary income and it runs relatively hands off which is why you want to sell it which is what makes it attractive to buyers, Mm -hmm. then, hey, maybe I don't want to sell it. You make a good point, uh, and maybe I'll ask you to make it again, that if you sell a business, you're probably not going to make as much money as if you keep it. (laughs) And you're still going to be active, but something along those lines. That's right, Martin. And and in most cases, uh, and there are some exceptions, but in most cases, keeping the business you make more money in the long run than you do selling it. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's a certain gene, I think, in entrepreneurial people that they need to be in control. Mm-hmm. And keeping that business and not being there day in and day out, <laughs> it's impossible for them. And and let's go back to our to our mutual client, Cliff, that we were talking about. There's no way. There is absolutely no way Cliff could have not been there every day right and he would never have been able to work in that kind of situation where he gave he turned over those things to somebody else but one is he was brilliant yeah uh, he, he's a special guy yeah he was, well, he was, he was 74 years old and he had a harley and he had a callaway camaro 750 <laughs> horse yeah and yeah white hair flying down monkey bars on that <laughs> That's right. on that harley yeah <laughs> <He's> going, <laughs> he but, did uh, but, that, but that uh, that uh, and there are some people that that have that that capability to mm-hmm. walk away and turn it over to somebody. But that, that's not that's that's why most people don't do that. Yeah. But back back kind of so we've been out and back. But do businesses have value? Like the, the guy driving down the road, listening on a podcast, he's not even going to hear all of this at once. But he 
well, you're talking millions and eight million and whatever else happened with Cliff. And he's thinking, you know, that's for those guys. Yeah. I'm just me and my four employees or six employees. Do, do, do they have value? Absolutely. And value is all, uh, value is wrapped up in, in one, one key item and that's cash flow. So if a business has, and, and this is what I look at. Now this, I'm sure that, that you have uh, kind of your criteria, but I look at a business that's been there five years and has success. And by success, I mean the owner is making a livable wage out of the business. And, and, and you, literally, do you mean that as a salary, not yes. in draws? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, then that business has value. And, and value is, is we, we, you know, to a certain extent, and I always accuse CPAs, you know, of being historians. They just want to look at the past. That's what they, mm-hmm. well, the past is important. But the value is in the future of that yeah. business and future cash flows. And I'll give you a great example. If I had a, if I, if, if I were trying to sell a business that made hula hoops and you two guys probably don't know what hula hoops are as way before your time, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, then that there's no future in that, you know? Mm-hmm. So that business doesn't have, wouldn't have a certain amount of value, but, it, but you look at the future value of that business. What will it do in the future? Can somebody take that business and grow it and make money? Yeah, there. Um, two years ago now, almost on November, what is it? November fifteenth, two thousand eighteen. I was in this room when I first met you. I don't know. Well, how I was going, he's doing deep research. I don't have no, dates on anything. You gave a, gave a talk called "Maximizing the Value of Your Business." I'm not yeah. sure if you've given that multiple times or it was just that one time. But you gave five things to create a highly valuable business, and I kind of wanted to walk through some of these. You bet. So the first one is operating margins above industry standards. Well, I, I am so impressed that I said one thing. That <laughs> I, said somebody five. I got them I yeah. written down too. <laughs> I don't have the date. So what, why is that important? What does that mean? What does that look like? How would, if I'm, if I'm on this, biz, this mission to maximize the value of my business yeah. and I want to do these five things, how can I do that? How can I get my operating margins above industry okay. standards? That, that's such a great question. Let me, and let me preface what I'm going yeah. to tell you by the fact that, that these five metrics that you're talking about, all business owners have to master those five and all five of them to have a sellable transferable business okay not just one that's right so a business enterprise that's what people are interested in buying is a business enterprise if they don't have those five that they can still make lots of money they can even get wealthy but it's called a lifestyle business not a business enterprise that can be sold so -hmm. it's a lifestyle business so so what so that's why and someone like Martin understands this so well, because getting that business uh, to have margins that are above industry standards means you've got to know your financials, or you've got to have an advisor that can help you understand your financials, to, that can help you to cut cost and cut, and, and not corners, but cut cost. Here's what happens to a That's business owner. That's a great owner. point. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Not he, corners, costs. Yeah. Here's, what, here's what happens to a guy. He starts a business, 
he he runs the business. He's building. He's growing. Right. And he's struggling. Uh, he's borrowing. And one day he gets to a place where he's not struggling anymore. He, and finally, uh, he has now he's got a a cabin at Grand Lake or a yeah. vacation home in Destin, Florida, and he he's making money. His wife has a new car. He's sending his kids to college, and guess what? He's not really paying that much attention to the business, to the financials, because he's doing well. When do you pay attention to the financials ordinarily? When when you're scratching to make when you're going to the bank and begging for a loan. That's right, or that's right, or when you're trying to borrow money. But so that person, that number one, and the second thing that we're going to talk about are the two hardest things to do and the two most important things to do to maximize value of your business. So you've really got to look at your all of your, uh, every employee and everything that you've done. And if we go back to Cliff, he had employees working for him that were not producing, but they had been with him for a long time. And he didn't have the heart to let them go. Yeah. And, and, and that was fat in the business. And so we could have actually got more for his business if we'd had another year to really work it uh, and, and let you work it in there for him. But uh, so, so that's number one. Uh, number two is, uh, is to have uh, a, a, a stable management team. Well, sorry, I'm going to go back to the okay. margins. Yeah, what is, how do I figure out what my industry margins are? Oh, okay. You know, how do I figure I, out I, what the standard, standard yeah, margins are? Okay, so, well, almost every business has some kind of association. Every, there, uh, uh, so there's a, there's a, a company out there called IBIS, I-B-I-S, yep. that will, you can Google and look up your, all of your industry standards from yeah. everything from gross margins to uh, cost, employee cost, rent that you should be paying, every aspect of your business you can find. And so you look at those and you compare what you're doing to what they're saying you should be doing. Yeah. So that, that's that's one thing. And, and, and it, do, you, do you pay for IBIS like RMA? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, one thing I tell people to start off with is go ask your bank um, because banks figure these ratios the ratios these these numbers all the time that's right and if your banker won't give them to you go get another bank but they're interested <laughs> that you know that because they want you to be healthy but that's a starting place it is and the bank doesn't know that they they get all that information yeah. you know and no they, they get it yeah, from these guys that they pay for it. that's exactly <laughs> right that's right and so, they will get and they'll give that to you right? yeah so so i'm looking to get above industry standards how far above like let's say industry standard for um a remodeling subcontractor is 25 percent depends on which margin you're talking about sure but uh gross gross profit margin right okay what am i am i just shooting for 26 or am i shooting for 30 what's what's what am i shooting for well okay khalil i'm not going to be able to really give you a definitive answer because it depends on your industry and it depends on the competitive nature of your business okay because sometimes your gross margins are dictated by what you can sell the product for. Well, right. they are always right. dictated by that. And and you may not be able to do that, so you may have to just look at your own cost okay. to get there. And, and so that means then you look at every employee 
And, and is, that, is that employee, and I'll give you another story, but I have a medical equipment business on, for sale right now. Okay. And they have, they've let go three people, one here and two in Tulsa, at their Tulsa office. And I said, so was that because of COVID? No. They had made that decision in November of last year mm. that these people weren't, but they were so close to Christmas, they didn't have the heart to do it. And they make plenty of money. I mean, they, they have a very successful business. So they didn't need to do it to, to increase their, uh, their, their living at right. all. They were trying to, we were working with them at that time, and they were trying to get their margins like they wanted to get them, gotcha. but they just wouldn't do that. And then my one seller's husband passed away in January. Oh, wow. And so that was still the last thing they were thinking about at that time, and then COVID happened. And they didn't want to do it during COVID, but they got to the place where I told them that we, for, for me to get for you, what you want, we've got to get rid of this $125,000 in salary that we don't need because we're going to get a four times multiple on your bottom yeah. line, and that and that is going to add $450,000 to the sales price. Right, right. That's really good. So, so we've you've mentioned here that getting the margins above the industry standard, it's not. Sometimes it's making those difficult decisions like having to let some people go. That's right. What are some other methods though that people might be able to increase their margins? Maybe they already are operating lean. What are some other things that you see? So, so one that, that I see an awful lot is the people that they, they're vendors. Because mm. here's what happens. Of the vendor, so let's say I'm a business owner and I'm a hunter. Right. The vendor knows it, and guess what he does? He takes Taking me on hunting out. trips every year. I get to go on a hunting trip where I'm a football fan, and, and I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and he sends me tickets every year. To go to Chicago. To, and guess what? Pay for those every month for the rest of your life. He is, uh, you, if you compare to what you're paying for his product to somebody else, you may be paying 20, 25% more then, yeah. then you. So you have to look at every. And, and what I here's what I do. I sit down with everybody and I take the P and L, the profit and loss yep. statement, and I look at the first item, and and we talk about that particular item. What what is it? Well, well, Larry, um, my CPA uh, doesn't really do the my he he doesn't do my books for me every month he only does them for my my tax returns and so i've got a bookkeeper that i hire to do this and then i i have another accountant that does uh kind of a semi uh, audit for me every year well so what we try and do is combine all those things into one person and save that money right and then and then the other thing we look at one example is uh, phones. So I'll see a big phone expense, and, and I'll say, okay, tell me about phone expense. Well, um, I have uh, two sons and their <laughs> wives, and I've got, uh, I pay for their phones because we get a better rate if I have a big family group on there. We have to get rid of that. So we just look at line items. I like that. That's really actionable. Had a uh, client in Edmond that that you know, and uh, walked in first day, and 
something insurance bill lying on the. I said, well, have you uh, assessed your insurance recently? He goes, no, I've always used old Ben. It's a good <laughs> idea. I walked in the next time. He said he had saved eleven thousand dollars. The bill that was lying there was a renewal, yeah. and he saved eleven grand. Yeah. Don't know the size of this guy's business, but it was enough. Anyway, I thought, hey man, you paid know, my wages. And yeah. another, another thing is banking fees. Three yeah, uh, percent on and your market. And if you take if you take credit card, you have to you have to look at your credit card fees. Yeah. Can is it can you do better someplace else? You know, a lot of restaurants, for example, won't uh, won't accept uh, American Express right. because it, it's too the fee is too much. Well, Larry, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I have what I call the one percent rule. And it's if you get your gross profit margins up 1%, mm-hmm. it will increase the average company's profit, net profit, by 14.5%. So I, I did 3%, not know that number. Well, it's it's an average, yeah. but it's meaning half of them are more than that. If you're yeah. really, really well run, small change doesn't make it. But that's pretty universal. Yeah. And credit cards, 25 to 3%. Boom, there you go right there. Now it's yeah. not on 100% a year. Anyway. Right. Well, I think that's really actionable, but I mean, with that, with that, looking at the P and L, you do have to have good books to be able to do that. At, exa- boy, Khalil, you, I mean, we could we could spend the next three hours talking about that. And if you didn't know, today was the launch date. I know that we're this is launching <laughs> later, but today there was a book launch called The Profit Problem. They say I make money, so why don't I have any? Man, that's how, you know the guy kind of that time? wrote that. I actually had to pay for it. Oh, and yeah. I'm waiting on Amazon to send it to me. <laughs> I, I really thought I would get a complimentary book. Oh, I'll with, give you a complimentary you know, signed, you know, yeah. and something like that. But I, I've already it's it's. You, I, you bring that book I, down here when it as proof that you bought it, and I'll sign it for you. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so I, I, I broke you up. You were going on to a stable and motivated management team. Yeah, this is so the second thing that's right. that uh, you can do to create a highly valuable business. That's right. A stable, motivated management team. And so why is that hard? You would think, well, that would be one of the easier things to do. Now, remember, we're, talking, we're not talking about $50 million a year businesses. We're talking about what I call... Uh, and we're not even talking about lower mid-market. We're talking about uh, uh, Main Street and Upper Main Street. So, uh, so businesses that that will sell for say five million and below. Okay. Just to, to sales make, price. To, sales price. So let's so to bring that home. Yeah. That's where the majority of businesses are. Okay. The the majority. In fact, the SBA says that something like ninety percent of businesses have ten employees. There, well, here's a stat for you because yeah. I looked it up. It's, it's in my book. What was the name of that book? No. <laughs> there are 30.2 million businesses in the United States right now. 4% make a million in sales. Yeah. 85% never hire an employee. Yeah. yeah. So, and there are lots of reasons for it and all, so on. But that right. still leaves 12 million businesses out there in that in that range. Yeah. But, so, so the the so when I said that. Uh, that uh, an owner, a business owner, has to manage and and the, the, these five metrics yeah. to have a, a sellable, transferable business, and and we talked about operating margins and, and management. The reason management uh, is so difficult for the business owner is that uh, is it's money because mm-hmm. he started his business, mm-hmm. and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but he is now at a place where he's making good money, and 
his mentality is he's the, the chief bottle washer and, and you know, custodian and everything else. He's got his hand in everything in the business. Yeah. A guy named Jim Collins, you guys probably know, wrote a book um, called Good to Great. And he's the one that kind of coined the phrase of working on the business and not in the business. Or work, yeah. So, so the management part of it is they don't want to part with the money to get a good quality person to come in and take some of that everyday work off of their, uh, yeah. off of them, and they just don't want to do that. And but that's important. And here's why: what happens when a buyer buys a business that he knows nothing about? <laughs> he needs the person who's running the business. He needs. He that's right. Months. He needs. The, uh, and I say a team. It can be one person. Oh, that, so, so this. Motivated manager team can be one really it, good manager. That's right. It can be a good okay. general manager kind of guy, but gotcha. he's got to be a level above the typical people in the in, yeah. in in the business. Okay. So let's just take. Let me give you an example. Let's take a heating and air conditioning business. Who who every guy that he hires has great skill set in working in the heating and air conditioning area, but right. most of them aren't businessmen. Sure. They're not managers. So he's got to find that manager to take to to take over that uh, when he's not there. Or what happens if something happens to him? And he's let's say he's got a business and he's making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year every year, but he's the guy that drives the bus. What happens to his family? When something happens to him, he is the business. It can't be sold. That they can, they'll get something for some of the furniture fixtures and equipment. Somebody might give them a little bit of money, you know, for the name. That's it. Well, the other, other or addition to that, um, when they buy that company, what happens to the owner? He's usually or she is. See you later. Even though, well, we got a contract to stay for two years, but he just gave you six million dollars. You, you might be hard to find. Yeah, that's why that's why today it's uh, and our, we'll take our our classic example of Cliff. Um, he took twenty five percent of the purchase price he carried. Uh, By that you mean he he financed it right. himself. He yeah, took that's payments right. instead of that's right because the the private equity group had the money to give him a hundred percent, but they wanted that. they wanted him. They wanted access to him whenever they wanted access to him, right. and and that's exactly right. So if you don't, um, you know uh, th- that person may tomorrow he you may get a call and say, hey, I hope you if you need me, here's my cell number, but I'm in Destin, Florida for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. So if if I'm if I'm a contractor and I actually do have that general manager right now, or I've thought about hiring them, or I can see the person I'm going to groom to be that general manager. How do I keep them stable? What are some ways that I can make sure that they're in a stable spot as a general manager? Yeah, good question. Because the worst thing that you want to do is spend it, invest in a guy and give him all the training that he has to do, send him to schools, and and give him raises, and then have him leave for somebody right. else. So so uh, uh, you you can give him a little bit of ownership. Here's okay. the problem with doing that. If I if 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 I, as the owner, give my employee some stock in the company, and then he leaves in two years, what do I have to do? Send him a check in Destin, Florida, where he lives. I got to buy my stock back that I gave him. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, we w- w- one of the things we recommend is that that he get uh, stock, but it's it's not stock. It's all the benefits of stock, and he gets bonuses and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then in in three to five years or some period of time after he after you've done this, he earns that in in real stock. It's vested. Yeah. Right. That's, okay. He's vested what after about, a certain if, amount of time. What about the time. idea of like a profit share after each year, like a percentage of profit or something like That's that? That's right. Bonusing. We, okay. we, we just sold a business uh, two Fridays ago. We closed on it. Uh, a very nice construction company. And, yeah. and we sold it to two key people. And, and they, they made great money because they had a good salary and a truck, but they got bonuses based on their production each year mm. and that put them in a place where they made more money than the, than than probably you know i don't know a, a really good income yeah and they bought and they bought the business oh they ended up buying the business yeah i think we need to uh, do a, an episode on that and uh, how to compensate people another thing is buy them life insurance and and uh, and then there there's a bonus good. deal yeah. where you put the money out there but they can only take you got to wait three years and then they can take a third of what's in there yeah. So there are a lot of clever ways to tie people to you. A key man uh, life insurance policy yeah. is good. And know. just build cash value in it. And they're vested. Yeah. Anyway, so there are ways. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's a great question. Yeah. Um, sorry, With along with that, and it's kind of moving away a little bit, what role do systems play in a stable management team or also being able to separate yourself from the business when you sell? Yeah. So... Systems are important for the for for that reason that we just talked about about a buyer buying a business. Right. So many people have their systems in their head. They yeah. know. They come in. They know the routine. They know what to do and what to look for. And I'll give you a great example. Uh, right now, I have a bakery for sale, and 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 all throughout the county of Oklahoma. If I told you the name, you'd recognize it. I mean, it's a and it's a very nice business. Okay. My and my seller was not a. He's had it 24 years now. He wasn't. He's a young. He was a young guy. He didn't have. He didn't know what systems. You know how to do systems, but he has written down every single step of every day and ev- that he does, day in and day out. Wow. What happens on Monday, Tuesday, every day of the week, every recipe for every product he makes. It's written and in a binder. Wow. When 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 we have an offer on it from a guy who has no experience in the business. Now my seller's going to stay for a couple of months, and he's going to he's in the area, so he'll he'll do a consulting for a while. But this guy will have this book, and he knows Monday morning, this is what I have to do. Now systems will become Khalil. They'll become more complicated. As yeah. the business is more complicated, right? But those systems are so important. There, let's just say he never sells. The system systems are important, aren't they? Because what happens when he goes on vacation? What happens when, the, for the very first time in his life, he and his wife get to go to Europe for thirty days, yeah. right? Yeah. And classic. And he's got this guy that he thinks, you know. He can handle most everything. Yeah. He doesn't know what that seller knows, what that owner knows. Yeah. And so now he's got his book right there. 
and and he just opens it if a happens this is what you do if b happens this is who you call mm -hmm. that's systems yeah to its basic right. you sure. know understanding so i have a question whenever you run into a business that you're helping them sell and they don't have systems and i'm sure it probably can be depend on the situation mm. do you sit there and say okay we need to start writing systems now or is it okay we're just gonna settle that we don't have systems and we're gonna try to sell still like is it can it go either way yeah it, well it, it can go either way let's just say that he had he only had one out of the five that we're talking about sure we may not do anything that with that except uh, tell him to start writing down the things he does sure you know get somebody now I used to have a, a woman in Edmond and she's not in business anymore and and she would do that so I would have him hire her to write systems she, that's right and she would do that kind I of love thing. that yeah yeah I'm working on our org chart which we still need to do an episode on that but mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the roles that I have on the org chart for one day um, <clears throat> is systems are someone who literally just goes around Everything to everybody in the company and says what do you do you know it brought a story to mind for me there do you know Cliff Stockton yeah Anyway, his company, we were in this Dance for a Miracle thing, I knew him, but he sold his company pretty substantial. Uh, started out doing everything. He said he checked the air in the tires before they loaded the trucks, then he drove the truck, all that. He said that private equity guys told him when, he, when they bought it that the thing that convinced him was he went out to the plant, went back in the warehouse, and nobody knew who he was. And they, said, they told him, he said, well, we were pretty sure, but that's when we knew. It, <laughs> the guy who founded it and yeah. ran everything... That's, By the time they bought it, they, they nobody knew who he was yeah. except the management. It's it's so important that that you are not the key guy in every aspect of your mm -hmm. business. It's it, but it's a hard thing to do because you grew up in the business doing all those things. Yeah, you uh, got. Are you on the three? We're on a third. So yeah. operating systems that support sustainable cash flow. We kind of dived into the systems a little bit, um, but what are systems that support? sustainable cash flow well uh, if we want to go back to my bakery example the the recipes for example and okay that so let's say it's a manufacturing company okay and you have recipes there too because it's 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 how do you do this how do you how do you manufacture these elbows that go uh, to the pipe supply uh, business what what do you do first uh, so uh, uh, your your cash flow is a result of all five of of these things that okay. you make in your business from from systems the systems sustain the cash flow mm -hmm. without the systems you can still make money remember when i said at first you can still make have a profitable business yeah and you can still get wealthy even with a lifestyle business you just can't sell it so so we're part of what we're doing is for us as the business owner but we're doing it for that future time when we sell the business because if we have those kinds of systems in place, then we, that will support top value mm. that you get. So you won't be nicked in value because you don't have operating systems in place. And so, you, you, you know, for, I'll give you another example. Right up here in Norman, I have a client that does... Uh, he has a, a computer service business. And so every small business out there that doesn't have somebody on staff 
to do their computer. He does their it. IT. He does yeah, it, yeah, that's right. He does all the IT, and and so he knows in that particular client. He knows all of their systems, and he has that written down. So if one day they want to eliminate him and bring somebody in on the inside, it's a smooth transition. Mm. He does that for all of his clients. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So um, systems, we've, and we've talked about systems in the past before and how important they are. The, the next one is realistic growth strategy, right? What does that mean? What, how do you develop that? Yeah. So, so uh, here, here's what I hear uh, a lot when I talk with business owners. Well, I'm gonna, Larry. I, I don't want to sell now. I'm, I'm, I want to build my business. Well, wh- how do you want to build it? What, what, what size are you looking for? Well, I want to add about. I want to add maybe seven hundred fifty thousand a year in revenues. Mm-hmm. Okay, how are you going to do that? Well, um, I'm just going to get out there and <laughs> hustle, uh, and uh, I'm going to call on more customers. Well, uh, a realistic plan is written down, right? So a good plan is always written. I'm sure Martin is shaking his head. So he, he that's what nodding. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I hopefully not nodding off. Yeah. But uh, uh, and and so so having a uh, having a plan. I want to do this. Here's step number one. Mm-hmm. Here's when I want step number one completed. Here's step number two. Here's when I want step number two completed. Here's what I. Here are the resources that I need to accomplish to accomplish my goal and here is I've so I'm breaking that goal down that big yeah. goal down into small goals yeah uh, that I can accomplish this month so it's really just good planning it's good, it's planning. good plan- and is that something that whenever you walk into a business that you're helping them develop or is that something that you're out telling hey you need to get with so-and-so or you just need to do it on your own or here's a template that you can follow a uh, good question so so here, here's the thing about different advisors Nobody has all the skill sets. Yeah. So I, I subscribe to the Dirty Harry theory. Do you boys know what the <laughs> Dirty Harry theory is? I do not know what the Dirty yeah. A man's got to know his own limitations. <laughs> yeah. So you know who Clint Eastwood is? Yes. Yeah, the movie Dirty Harry. Okay, I need yeah. to go watch it. I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Make so, my day. So that's right, make my day. No. So a man's, so I, I mean, that, that's true. A man does have to know his own limitations, and that's what I try and talk to my clients about. So I will then engage them with someone, with Martin, for example, or let's, right. let's say that uh, they don't have the books. Yeah. Well, then, then, first of all, I want to know who, who is your CPA, you know? Oh, well, gee, my wife, you know, well, okay then I want to get a CPA involved. I'm not going to do the books and I'm not going to help them grow the business. I can give them I give them the things they need to do and the things they need but to But I'm yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. I'll tell them how to do it. I'm not going to teach them how to do right. it. Right. Okay. What what about customers uh concentration? Oh, uh, is oh, that one of your five? I knew there, oh, that's I knew the there was one. something. Yeah, that's some, solid, there, diversified customer base. Yeah. That's exactly, boy, and, and that is so important, and I'll give you. Well, what is it, first yeah, of all? Well, so it's, so the, what diversified customer base is, is a, is a customer base that one or two or three customers don't make up a significant amount of your revenues. 
Just give what's significant. That's and, okay. And so, so that's the next point. Uh, the uh, alleged experts out there say that 15% of your business with any one customer is enough of, a, of a, an amount of business that can cause a buyer not to pay you full value of that business. <coughs> so, Which means that in that case, three customers would be 45%, almost half your business. Kind of a classic thing. I've <coughs> seen people who were thrilled because they got into Walmart <coughs> with their product, and then all of a sudden Walmart's dominating, and that's the only place they are. And then, I don't know if it's still that way, but... Walmart used to demand that you go down in price and manufacture, and pretty soon they're toast. So this was in the 80s, and I got a call from a guy that uh, made, uh, a, it was a, a, a plug knocker. If you're any of you are fishermen, a little plug knocker is a, it's a leaded weight that if you get your line hooked up or caught up, you can shove that down your line and it will unhook it to a certain extent. And he, and he he was making he was making a living. I mean, he was making fifty thousand a year doing what he absolutely loved. And he was down on Thirty Ninth Street, right near the lake, at a little place down there. And and he was selling them in uh, little fishing stores and convenience small convenience stores and stuff like that. And a guy with Walmart happened to be a good fisherman and saw it and said, you know, I think we can sell these. So he calls on the guy and he says, uh, hey, I want to come see you. And the guy had just a little plant. He had one employee. And he said, uh, hey, you know, uh, we're going to make you rich because we, we can sell these things in the stores. But you've got to grow and you've got to show me that you can build a certain amount of revenue on a monthly basis. Because when we want it, we want it now. And so the guy goes to the bank, he borrowed $250,000, he bought equipment, and he made what their first order. And six months go by, he hadn't gotten paid by Walmart. And he, he's calling the guy, he said, hey, I sent you product six months ago. And the guy says, well, let me check on it. He gets back to him and he says, you know, that product is still in our warehouse. We haven't moved it to the stores yet. Uh, but hey, if you need the money as bad as you say you need it, I'll give you 20 cents on the dollar for it. And the guy went bankrupt because he couldn't pay his bank. Yeah, I've heard stories like that. Yeah. And uh, so. Not that Walmart's bad. Uh, no, yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> not that Walmart's I've just heard stories not, unconfirmed. Not that Walmart's bad. That's right. But, but that's what happens when you're doing business with, with, the, uh, with Godzilla. Right. Yeah. You know, my dad used to say, marry an elephant and you're going to roll to its side of the bed every time. <laughs> <laughs> that conjures up quite anyway, the picture so, in my so mind. So how do you protect yourself against that? Like, okay. what are some ways that you suggest it? Okay, so, so, the, so the, here's one thing. You don't want to get rid of Godzilla. Right. You want to create more customers mm. so that they become less, so that, that so Godzilla becomes a less percentage of your gross revenues, mm. if it's Godzilla, but let's say it's not Godzilla. Let's just say it's it's a, it's a customer that's got fifteen to twenty percent of 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 your business. Yeah, you have to grow and build. So remember the the story I told you about the guy that had the four heart attacks. Mm -hmm. So I put together a group of guys and we bought several businesses, and that's one of them that we bought. They were doing six hundred thousand. We sold it when it was doing four million. 
later. And that was quite a few years later. And everybody made a nice bit of money. Uh, all my partners did. And, and the first thing that we did, and we had a guy who's retired now, but he was part of our group who was a management kind of consultant, an operations guy. And, and, and our client was making, you can make out of fiberglass anything that you make out of steel, and it's better. Wow. And so he had customers that he was spending an inordinate amount of time and not making hardly any money on making one or twos of these kinds of things. Sure. So what we did, the very first thing, is we looked at every single customer he had, and we put a minimum on what... The, what orders. Orders. We, yeah. So we had to have a minimum order. No matter if you wanted one of these, it and was you're holding X up amount. a bottle cap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm holding one a of plastic these. Bottle, yeah. water bottle cap. And, and so that's what we did... And, and, then, and then we instituted, which he didn't have, a, a marketing plan and a sales plan, which, which he, he didn't have, and, 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 uh, and started, uh, and, and I didn't do, all I did was I would take pizza to the 22 workers uh, once, a while, once a month or something like that. I didn't have anything to do with any of those things, but this, that's what we did. As a, as a group, we sat down and said, what do we need to do? We came up with these things. That was, that was the main thing that we do. So your, cust your diversified customer base, has you, you've, you can't get rid of those customers, but you have to make them insignificant by increasing your customer base hmm. and selling more to other customers. Yeah. You know, so, we oh, go ahead. That's just really where marketing and sales come in a yeah, lot. That's a, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, good. We've we've been uh, and probably will some more, but talking about the seller side of things. But who who buys businesses, and and why do they buy them? Yeah, well, so uh, the uh, everything depends on the size of the business. So there, there are financial buyers out there. There are buyers out there who are creating a job for themselves, who, who uh, at, at one time, I used to go, when a, when a company was gonna have a layoff, they would call me and I would go to HR and, and make a presentation to the employees about what, what are the things they need to do to buy businesses. And some would buy businesses, but, uh, uh, so individuals who uh, many times are laid off, uh, or let's say somebody that works for an oil company and they've been through a couple of these, uh, you know, series of, of uh, downturns and they've decided that that's the last time they want that to happen to them and they want to buy a business. The other buyers are private equity groups, strategic buyers uh, like uh, companies uh, like, for example, this company that I, I told you that we sold to the employees, we started that process by selling to a third party, and and it was a large uh, St. Louis-based construction company that wanted our client because our client had a special niche, and uh, but our but our sellers decided that they uh, they and we could have gotten a big price for that, but they wanted to sell to these two key guys because they kind of grew up in the business. And, and, they, and, and so they did that. Um, let's see, the, buy, the, the buyers, uh, 
uh, are uh, come from a sometimes uh, I heard, heard a story the other day I gave a talk the other day and uh, and one of the guys came up to me afterwards and he had just bought a small business and he said um, it's my third business I bought and he said I guess I'm a serial on- entrepreneur you know so he, he's building them to build them up and sell them and again. sell them that's yeah. right so uh, some of these people talk about investment bankers and hedge funds and private equity firms and they're all kind of these I don't know if they're loosely used or not but in my circles they are they, they can be people who put together funds of money to buy something or they can be a rich family significantly rich it can be yeah so so now what's happened is for a long time private equity groups kind of had the the run of the roost so to speak uh, and and they um, uh, they were the only real people out there aggressively selling or buying businesses and then family offices became uh, more prominent okay private private equity just to be clear, because for many years I wasn't clear, but that means that they take ownership, equity, privately. It's not a publicly traded fund that you buy on Wall Street. So that's private equity. That's right. A family office. What? Okay, a family it, office would be uh, a, a family money that uh, that and they've hired someone, or they may even do it themselves. To they buy businesses. Okay. The difference is. Family offices are using their own money. Private equity uses investment investors' okay. money. Investors want a return. So how do they get a return? Well, in somewhere between three and five years, maybe seven at the most, they sell that business to somebody else. And I, I think this is kind of a key point, uh, and we're going to get to more on this, but you said you're implying, or you're saying, not implying, that it's the selling it to the second person is the big return. They're not actually sitting there trying these equity private equity firms to make a bunch of money off of profits in the near term. Is that correct? That's exactly, and that's that's a mis- misnomer. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people think of private equity. They come in, and they just rob the company. You know, so where did that start? Well, the movie Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. and, and I can't think of the actor's Richard name. Gere. Richard Gere. Yeah. So his job was he was buying companies, selling off the assets, moving the people to Lord knows where. Uh, and the the company goes away, and he makes a whole whole lot of money. Private what private equity guys do is they're really good. They they come in, they buy a business, they take a management fee, but they don't take a lot of money out of the business. They build they they get build they take money and resources and build the business so that they can like sell putting, it. Putting them in. That's put it in yeah. the business. So and so so my. My seller gets to take a whole bunch of chips off the table, and now what's what's happened even more prominent now is a private equity will, group will come in and buy a minority share of the business. Now they have all of the management agreements and things in place to make sure they're in control. They control the board, all those things. But my but the seller still has a certain amount of money. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a client right now that has a, what Becky valued the business at $45 million. He, he really doesn't want to sell everything. He has a plan to grow the business nationally. He wants somebody to buy 60% and he'll keep 40% and he'll stay. And give him the resources to and, execute. And so he doesn't have to take that 60% that he gets 
and invested in the company, he takes that home, that home to mama. It's off the table. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the private equity group funds that. Now, so, but they're going to, they're, they're going to build it up, take it nationally. And he's still got They're going to sell it for a yeah. hundred million. Yeah. Okay. The, the family office doesn't answer to investors. They're more likely to keep that business forever. A lot of my sellers like that because they've got people that they've hired, that, that they've grown up, they've, they, well, they've bought uh, Boy Scout, Girl Scout cookies from their kids, and now the kids are grown. Uh, they've gotten some of them out of jail. You know, they, they uh, everything. They're going to have come run my company. And, and they don't <laughs> want, they, they really want to see that business go on forever. And the, and the family office, offers that to them. now the private equity group may say hey we're a keeper we love your your business is different but they're going to sell it. they're going to sell it they have to <laughs> yeah. you know well you know it's pretty cool here just start out with the idea of does a business have value yes it does what are strategies to make it worth more than the assets you know the equipment the inventory and the real estate to actually some pretty sophisticated decisions to be made here like i want to go national. I don't want to do it through banks. I'm going to sell a certain amount, take chips off the table, get some interested and uh, funded partners and go do it and make the big gain on the 40% I still have to making a decision to sell to a family office because that will preserve the, the employees whom I love. And yeah. uh, Anyway, so by opening up your mind and thinking, hey, I do have a business that sells. Yeah. And we have, we're not done yet. Yeah, I mean, this really gets out there. There's a whole world in in the cell. I, I make a point in my book, and this is about you, not me, in the book. But there's a whole group of people that don't think of profits as the actually cash. But I'll say profits as being the point of business. The profit is simply a tool to build value in the business. Yeah, and, and it is, and we we'll get to that. How is it actually done? But man, it's it's really cool having. And I don't want people listening. We just heard about another $45 million business. Maybe you got a million dollar business. Still, the strategies are there. Well, know? the strategies are there, and that's important. But also, it's important to think about this, too. Let's say you've got a business and it's valued at a million dollars. You st- you could still be a private equity candidate. Mm-hmm. And why? Here's why. Because that private equity group, what they do is develop a platform of kinds of businesses. And now they're buying add-ons. And that add-on, it can have $100,000 in profit, if depending on the geographical area, maybe a, a, the certain area of expertise, or whatever. So an example of that might be something, because I know somebody like this, but uh, water damage and fire damage repair yeah, company. Exactly. Re- rest, restoration? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they buy a pretty good one. Well, a guy's over here. He's got two trucks and and four guys. Well, it does two hundred fifty thousand a year. They might buy it and suck it right into that satellite. Well, yeah, because that guy may have a really good reputation yeah. in his area, and rather than coming in and try and 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 start something from scratch, they're Springer. buyers of they know the value of of buying something with money coming through the cash register today right. and not having to create it. Yeah. So let's. I want to go through this scenario because we know someone who's done this. But um, I am a contractor. I own a business. I'm doing well. There's the opportunity to buy a business to expand my reach. 
rather than doing it through private equity, I'm going to finance it or <clears throat> find a way to buy it. <clears throat> what should I be looking for in that business? What are some like good signs, bad signs, things I can capitalize on? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Great question. So go back. Number one, uh, you have to back up a little bit. Okay. And 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 go back to to that last point of having a realistic growth strategy. And it's part of, it has to be part of that growth strategy. It has to be part of that growth strategy. Okay. Understand why. So um, I, I will, uh, uh, let me break it down to me and buying cars. Okay. okay? I may see a car I want to buy mm-hmm. and I kind of fall in love with it and I buy it and I take it home. And guess what Becky says to me? Why'd you buy that car? We have three cars right now. <laughs> Why'd you buy? Well, I wanted it. You know, I liked it. I want. Well, that's what. That's how people look at many times. How uh, sometimes a little too much money is not good for a business owner because he makes a decision without planning. So the so the very first thing that he has to do, the the five steps are things for him to look at too. That five metrics that we talked about. Yeah. But the key thing for him for that business owner is to have a couple of good advisors. Yeah. To help him through that process, because many times that he wants to grow, but it may be the first time he's ever done that. Yeah. And there are uh, trip wires all through the buying process. Now, if he let's say let me let me clarify that. Let's say he's a heating and air conditioning guy, and he has a little friendly competitor over there that he knows is getting getting up in age, and he wants to buy it. Well, he knows that industry. You know, and really what he's buying is not the business. He's buying the personnel because it's so hard to find those people. You know, so you have to understand what 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 you're doing, what you want to accomplish. And I'll give you a, a good example. When a, when a publicly held company sits down at their board meeting mm-hmm. and they say, we want to grow 15%. Now, the national average is a company who's really out there working can grow about 7%. So how do they grow 15%? They make an acquisition. That's exactly right. You know, a real, uh, you, you touched on it in a different context, but what is a business buyer buying when they buy a business? Now, you, you just mentioned, be sure you know what you want to buy, but here's what I'm talking about. Talked to a builder one time, and I, we were talking about selling his operations. And I said, "We'll talk about multiples and stuff in a minute here." Uh, so it's a certain amount of times profit. And he goes, "Are you kidding me?" He says, "They get their inventory for that." And I said, "Well, it's a negotiable deal." You know, well, I guess it was before he asked about inventory, but he said, "My inventory of houses is worth twelve times that." I said, "Well, they don't get your inventory of houses, but they." So what do they get? Because I know if they're not thinking about it now. They're going to think about it. What, I got a, a fleet of trucks, and I make X amount of dollars in the trucking industry. Uh, what Am I buying the trucks? Am I buying the industry? What, what's the deal? Yeah. What do you get when you buy a business? So here's the, 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 the one thing that I run into a lot, and, and I'm going to kind of uh, uh, veer from your truck issue to inventory, okay. for example. Sure. Because here's what happens to a lot of business owners that have inventory, is at the end of the year they look and they say, "Well, man, I'm gonna, I made good money this year. My taxes are gonna be significant. I'm gonna buy a bunch of inventory, so I don't, I can reduce my tax impact." And so now instead of having 
$100,000 in inventory, which is about what it takes to run the business, for example. He's got $350,000, and now he wants to sell. And maybe the business, you know, it, maybe that's half or of what the business is worth. The business is only worth what the cash flow that it's generating is worth. So may, maybe it's time uh, to explain how the process works. And we can literally talk about the process, but how is the value arrived at? So you mentioned way, you know, some minutes ago, the multiple, you just said that number. Mm-hmm. How is it? In general effects, how is a business valued? Okay, well, that, that, it's it's a, I mean, that's a good question. So here's what we do. The first thing is we go through the financials and we recast the financials because what we're trying to show is what is the real bottom line. What does it take in expenses to run that business? And Sally's uh, phones that he's paying for and his mother-in-law's new Cadillac that he's writing off and uh, the business and all of those kinds of things are not germane to that business. So, so you add them back. So we're going to add that back. So depreciation, amortization. And you have to be careful with the depreciation because... Some of it's if, real. If you're buying new equipment every couple of years, you have to leave a certain amount of money in there. But you have to go through that process. And, and you, you take the net profit of the company. You take the seller's salary. So I have two kinds of sellers. One that runs a business and takes a very large salary. The other guy takes a very small salary and distributions. And he does that so he doesn't have to pay withholdings and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things on, on the amount. So what we, we do is we go to the Oklahoma Employment Commission. We look at what is a typical salary for somebody with that size of a business that we would have to hire. And we plug that salary in. And we take the, the excess and bring it to the bottom line. If, or, it, if Yeah, if they overpay. If they underpay, if they you got to subtract. If, if they don't, you subtract. Right. That's right. So, so you get to a place where, and so, so like for example, like my bakery I was telling you about. Well, they make about two hundred thousand net. The husband and wife. The wife works part time. She could be replaced for about ten thousand dollars. Well, he can hire someone to run that dadgum bakery for probably and, and do a great job for forty five thousand. Let's say, maybe fifty. And so we take that away, and the rest of it is what the net profit is, and there's some multiple then of that okay. number. So it's the value is an adjusted profit, made more correct, times a multiple. Times some kind of multiple. So two kinds of questions about what is the multiple and what is the <laughs> multiple. So like one times profit, three times profit, ten times profit, and what? affects that multiple. Okay, I'm going to give you an answer that's going to please everybody. Okay, I don't know. It It depends. It depends. (laughs) There you go. That's right. But what are some ranges that you would see? Well, uh, let's talk about just your retail kind of business. A guy's got one location, retail kind of business. You know, he's uh, has a little gift store. Uh, you're, You're probably looking realistically maybe two times earnings and uh, and and a certain uh, amount for inventory. Okay, so if you made a hundred thousand, you're saying the business would be worth two hundred. That's right. Okay, the guy owns the store. Do they get the real estate for that? He owns the building. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, so no, no. No, he that, doesn't get no. thrilled. This is yeah. for what it takes this is, this is to earn business. that revenue. That's right. So then the business, if he owns the business, for example, well, he can decide to sell it or that lease would be it. Addition. He's probably been in it long enough to have paid for the building, so now he gets a check every month for, yeah. for, and, rent. for the rent. Yeah. Well, let me jump back because I think I heard it from you, but maybe clarify a little bit. If a company has 40 trucks, because that's the number stuck in my head, and they make X amount of dollars and you do the adjustments and you do the multiple and the value for that business, it took those 40 trucks to make that money. So if they're going to buy the business, they're buying the trucks. And they can look at that then and say, you know what, those trucks sold separately are worth more than selling the business. And at what point they make a decision. That's exactly right. Okay. So let's, my trucking company, for example, they've got over 100 trucks. They make about $8 million net profit. Trucking companies, for example, will get from, four, depending on the size, but say, and depending on, on what they hauled, is it long haul, is it overnight, you know, so many different criteria, but uh, they can get four to seven times, depending on the business and the, what they do and their customer base and all those kinds of things, that price includes every single asset owned by that business. Right. Because that's what it takes to make that money. That's right. Now, so they, if they own all those trucks, which they hardly ever do because they're continually having to upgrade right, and, the, and it's financed, so, the, uh, so part of the deal then is... How do you how do you structure it? Is the buyer going to assume some of that debt yes. and give them? That was going the, to be my next question. Yeah. So you you have to make a deal. Okay. So there some negotiations. That's, oh, that's what well. That, that was going to be just quickly mentioned in passing. The business also has cash. It has accounts receivable. It has inventory. <clears throat> Typically, don't go with the nominal sale of the business it's negotiated at some point to some extent martin because you have to leave a certain amount of working capital in the business and what we do is look at the the trailing 12 months okay what how much working capital do you does it okay. require the business I didn't to have so then you so how do you get working capital it's assets minus liabilities right. current liabilities mm -hmm. so so uh, the uh, our, our company we just sold to the construction company. They had over they had 2.2 million in cash in the business. Uh, they had um, they had receivables of about uh, oh it, it somewhere close to a million. They had to leave a million and a half in the business. So they got uh, their, but but receivables were about were a million and a half. Yeah. So they got to take the cash, but they didn't get to take everything. They didn't take the receipt. Well, essentially, that's just a price reduction. That's more or less, right. yeah. And then the other side on the debt, accounts payable, long-term debt, real estate. Well, you're, you you sell it. Well, you just described a situation where you negotiate. But if it were just a local retail guy, yeah. you keep your debt. You yeah. keep your liquid assets. You keep your debt. The guy that gets the receivables gets the payables. Okay. And and the seller takes the Wilson. debt. Okay. Now I I have that so there's some exceptions to that for in my medical company. Always gonna be exceptions. Yeah, they've got six vehicles. Two of them are, are brand new, but they financed them. 
So what I'm telling the buyer, the people that, that the guys that are making the offer is, here's what we're selling, and you're going to have to pick up the notes on the two vehicles. Or okay. if you don't want to, we'll take them and sell them. Well, they don't want to do that, right. so they're picking up the notes. And that's that's just all in negotiations. That's just all in that could have gone square around. But but what we do is we we start the negotiating process with all that stuff on the table. Right. We tell everything up front, and and so that everybody knows what the structure is. What is the deal? And the last kind of question I have uh, is, where do you find buyers? I mean. I'm sitting in Norman, Oklahoma, I want to sell a business, I'm looking around and say, well, I don't certainly don't know everybody in Norman, Oklahoma, but I know a lot of people. I go, I don't know who would want my business. Where do you find business okay. buyers? So again, it gets back to the, 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 the business and uh, how big it is. So if it's, a, let's just say it's a, what I call a Main Street business. It's going to sell for probably three to five million or below. Not even more than five, Okay, but below that. Uh, there, uh, at one time, uh, I, I spent a lot of money advertising in not only the Daily Oklahoman, but the Arca- I know these things. I wrote checks. Arkansas Gazette, Kansas City Star, the Dallas Morning News, the Southwest Edition of the Wall Street Journal, all those things. Today, I spend about $200 a month, and that's usually in an, in, in an industry magazine. That's it. Looking for buyers. Looking for buyers. Now it's all online. So this is all the small biz, stuff. buy, sell. That's all the, the main, main street, street kind yeah. of businesses. Now I've got a. Uh, uh, so let, let's let's take my my uh, a large trucking company. We're not doing that. Nobody. You you don't even know I've got that for sale. You can't. It's not on my website. It's not anywhere. But what what we do is research everybody out there that has all the publicly held companies. That, own tr- that are trucking companies, and all the private equity groups that own a bevy of trucking companies, they're the only prospects that we send our blind teaser to, out to. They're the only ones that know about it. So I've got another company right now. It's a, it's a franchised business. It's a, they're the franchisor selling 120 locations. So I found 32 Companies and private equity groups that own franchise businesses that in that type, and and we we so we we do an auction with that. We send out uh, our, um, our our confidentiality agreement, our one page teaser, and we tell them that we're running a process, and if they're interested, sign this stuff and get it back to me, and we'll talk about and what that's our process. NDA non disclosure stuff, yes. confidential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, some people call Very it cool. Yeah. Man, um, well, I mean, I, I can ask more questions. You're going to keep going? You think we should wrap it up? Well, um, is anybody going to listen to this much? <laughs> no, yeah, no. yeah, no. I mean, if, if if you don't care about this stuff, no. But if you do, you're just getting $2 million worth of advice here for, oh, for yeah. the cost of turning on your Bluetooth, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I've certainly discovered that to be true with you. 700 businesses. I'm going to guess, is there anybody else in the United States, perhaps the world, who sold 700 businesses? Not really. When I go to all my meetings and people, we talk about that. Uh, the major- So it, we're a young industry. When I started in 82, 1982, in March of 82, it actually is when I started, uh, you, you, there weren't really business brokers. If you had a small business, you called a realtor. <laughs> 
And yeah, to, to I, get I them to sell it. Well, I got to update my book because I said in there that he had sold over 650. Well, so that's, that's, that's it's still true. I, I have that. that but I, that was last month. That, that, was, <laughs> that was actually about four years ago, yeah. and I just haven't upgraded it. But yeah. Well, that's. That's very cool. Well, I, I do want to uh, kind of wrap up, a, uh, and I think Cleo will do it even better, but there are two points I want to make because it's a pet peeve. You, you are pretty good in it, but at every step of the way, from just thinking about it to somebody wanting to look at your profits and have, and have it match with a tax return to figuring out what to do to improve your profits to negotiating with a buyer, how important are good books? <laughs> Ding. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's 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 the most important and and it's the most um, abused aspect of a of a of a business owner because because of, of what I've said earlier is they get to a place where they're making money and they kind of exhale and relax and let it go a little bit. They're making plenty of money. They don't have to pay attention because they're making plenty. Guy sitting next to you this morning that we did a recording with, he uh, he said, "Well, I had a little setback two years ago, and I hate to use the word embezzlement, but basically, the setback was yeah. cash that disappeared." Yeah. Sometimes embezzlement isn't strictly illegal. There's some kind of a right, but it's not. <laughs> certainly wasn't the. It's intent. a perceived right. Yeah, it's a perceived right. Yeah, you owe me. Yeah. I did a. I did all yeah. the work. So, so understanding your your financials and being able to, I tell everybody, if you can afford it, have your have audited statements. And there used to be a rule of thumb, Martin, and you you'll know this better than me. There used to be a rule of thumb that when you got to ten million in revenues, that was you could afford uh, audited statements. Uh, my client that we just sold, the construction company, they have audited statements. And so when the, when, the, when the guys have bought it, when they went out and got their attorney and their CPA to do their due diligence, it was a, it was a, a, a lay down because yeah. they didn't have to worry the about already anything. Did. Because they had, now, you don't have to have audited statements, but you have to have good, clean financials. And what I tell people is quit living out of the business just pay your pay pay all the stuff give yourself the you know you find find keep your distributions that's fine keep your low salary that's fine but don't live out of the business and hide expenses and go yeah. build that lake cabin and use your business to finance all the labor and those that's kinds of such things. a great realization for people to have is it's a multiple. So if you spend $100,000 building a lake cabin you just, and you got a five multiple, you just mm. lost $500,000 worth if, of valuation. Even if, even, if, if, even if you can show somebody what you did, you're going to be deemed because they're going to say, well, what else about your business have yeah, you been— Yeah, crooked. Yeah. Had the, but that's a harsh yeah. word, but that's— Yeah, and, it, I mean, it, that's, and it, it's not so much crooked, it's just it's not clear. Yeah. You know, it's not clear— yeah. And people are spending their hard-earned money to buy that business. They, you know, they don't want to get into something that may bite them. I'll give you one quick story. I, I this is I sold a business. This has been about 15 years ago. It was a concrete business. They made the curbs. They made the the big 
places that uh, for the universities that the, tr- the concrete uh, big barrels that the trash can goes in, oh, so okay. if people could kids couldn't steal them and stuff yeah. like that. And uh, it made about two fifty two hundred fifty thousand a year net profit. I sold it to a guy. We he did good due diligence on it. What we didn't know was the seventy two year old guy that ran it that owned it was a premier mechanic. He had all these trucks, and when they had a problem, he repaired them himself. So they had no maintenance expense? No maintenance expense. They had, there's a little on the books, not much, where he bought a part here and there. The new guy, he couldn't fix an ink pen. <laughs> and so instead of making 250 or 275, he was making about 190. Well, that just didn't cut it, you know. Now, we sold it for him uh, about two or three years later. And uh, he did a good job because he he was a good salesman. He went out and got new business and kind of grew it to to about where it was supposed to be in the first place. But he, he couldn't fix the trucks. He had to have them all repaired. So there are just things about the business. Have all, get all your financials in order. Don't make it a question as to whether the authenticity of the books yeah. are the question. Yeah. Mm. Well, you started with the story about Cliff. Oh, yeah. So okay. how did it end up? You, you had, yeah. last thing I remembered was... We didn't need you, yeah. So, so <laughs> Cliff, yeah, Cliff said he didn't need us. We brought Becky in, introduced him to Becky. Becky went through a six-month process to value the business, which normally takes us about 45 days. And, and because his financials were in, and, I, and maybe his wife won't listen to this ever, but she would walk into the office and say, I need 25000 And the girls would write her a check for 25000 And then he would have to find a way to expense it. You know, oh, that gosh. made sense. Well, we had, and, and, and he had one employee, for example, that never paid his child support. And so the state then took his whole salary Cliff, this guy had been with Cliff since he started the business. He ha- had an entry in the P&L where he paid the guy his salary, <laughs> up and above that. So th- that was just two things that he did. So what, the, the, what happened was uh, we valued the business at $20 million. Okay. Then, then our job was to find buyers, and we, we, we invited four private equity groups in. But before they could come in, they had to send us a letter of interest with that value. And we went through the whole process with them. Sure. You know, before they did that. They all sent in and we invited each one of them in for a visit. Cliff sat down with them with each one of them, not on the same day, but with each one of them. And then we made a decision. One group came from Texas and there were four of the guys and they were very sharp. But one of them was about 65 and had gray hair. We had, we had two guys from Duke that were two young guys that put together a private equity group and they were very sharp guys and they wanted the business and they had the resources. Uh, Cliff referred to them as the Dukies. And he said, I like those Dukies, but he said, man, they're just too young. He said, I like that guy with the gray hair. And, and so, they made us. They, they, they made a proper uh, letter of intent, twenty million. They wanted Cliff to, to finance part of it. I'll let Cliff tell this, the, the the numbers, and I think he's 
he, he doesn't mind that we talk about this, but he kept uh, 25%, he financed, and then he kept, uh, well, let's see, actually it was 25, it was, it was 250,000, no, 2,500,000, and then he, uh, that he financed, and then he invested 2,500,000 back into the business. Into he took 15 million cash, and, uh, but, but before that, before we got all that, we, we got that worked out, we hadn't done the deal yet, he said, Larry, I want to go to Houston and see where they live. And I said, good, I'll go with you. He said, nope, I want to go myself. I can take care of it. And I said, okay. I said, I've got a few things I think we can do to enhance it, so don't do anything stupid. I said, no. He said, do, do I look like somebody's going to do something stupid? <laughs> and, and so I'm out by my pool. I'm cleaning my pool one afternoon, and he calls me. And, he doesn't, and, and Cliff never said, Larry, it's Cliff. He just started talking like I'm, you know. Supposed to know. I got supposed to, and, I, and actually I did know from after, after a while. He said, Larry, I signed. And I said, what? He said, well, I was telling the guys how well I liked the deal, and we had, and, and Cliff and I talked to five other businessmen that sold to this group, and, and we did our due diligence. And he said, I liked them, and I told him I liked them. And the one guy says, well, Cliff, if you like it so much, let's just sign this deal now. And he said, I couldn't think of a reason not to. <laughs> he said, Larry's going to kill me. So he started out, he could have got eight. <clears throat> Yeah, you wound he, up he at a twenty million, million yeah. valuation. That's right. Then I also know maybe it's not, but uh, he stands to make some significant earnings again because it's selling again, or or might I don't know. So they've got it on the market at sixty million. So he's going to get twenty five percent of that. that. Yeah. And so now he's getting what they refer to as the second bite of the apple, and and they will sell it. I don't know what they'll sell it for, yeah. but they they will sell it. So wow, that's really crazy. Yeah, and that's I mean, he how long did he have the business before he sold it? Roughly, he his brother started the business in 1970. Okay, his brother just did not. Uh, he he didn't he just didn't have uh, Cliff's skill set, and it was it, the bank was about ready to take it back. Oh wow, and Cliff had loaned him money on several occasions. He was in California at the time. He's from here, but he, but he was in California. And he came back here to, and to talk to the bank and, and, and talking to the bank, uh, he, uh, he decided to buy it. And okay, basically he took it over, he took over the, the loans. Gotcha. And, and bought it. And that was, that was, I think sometime in the late 70s. Okay, so he owned it for for a good he, while. He owned it quite a while. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, that's really that's really cool to hear, and I think this is such a good thing for so many business owners to think about their exit strategy and what really matters when they're running their business. And it's really difficult, you know this, you know this, when you're in the business to think about any of these things. Yeah, it's it's so hard, and and the the you know selling a business. It is very complex. It doesn't have to be as complex as most guys make it right. because of the planning process. Mm -hmm. And and that process is, starts with having good advisors around you. Yeah, absolutely, that's great. Yeah. Well, you have the five, well, the only thing I was gonna run through the five things. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, so as they're driving around taking, I think it's been real 
educational. I, I love talking about it. I learned something, but you you want to have you've got to have good margins and margins. We use software that's gross profit margins, but net profit margins. Yes, you, you've got to make good money. You got to have stable management other than you. That's right. The presumption, if nothing else, is you're going to be gone. That's right. Uh, you want to have systems and processes that make what you do repeatable. And you want to pay attention to your customer concentration so that you don't make all your money off of one or two guys who could bail on you at any time. Exactly. So, And you're missing one. Oh, what did I miss? Realistic growth strategy. That's exactly oh. right. Way to Damn go, Khalil. I didn't have that. <laughs> I didn't have that in my... Uh, yeah. I didn't have that in my plan. Yeah. <laughs> and and the other question that I get is, well, when should I start that process? And you should start it the day you start the business. Yeah. Most guys don't because they're head over heels in in, yeah. in, in working. Yeah. And, yeah. and the sooner you start the process, the easier. That's right? exactly right. Because when you start the business, I mean, you can define things. Yeah. Whereas you have to reverse things if you do it later on. That's right. I, I see that all the time with the bookkeeping stuff. If you're... <clears throat> If I'm working with a company that's been doing business for 10 years and has books and we've got to make them correct, it'll it'll take a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if they're starting out right, which I know a guy, I talked to him today, who started out three months ago, his books are right from day one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, he's not ever going to know how easy he has it yeah. because he started right. So, well, anyway. uh, time for our, our segment where Ethan comes back with his insights. Ethan, how are you doing? Doing good. Good. Very well, ready. You want to give us, I'm going to give you 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Yeah. You ready? I am ready. All right. Let's start the clock. All right. Everyone is going to exit their business eventually. Uh, there's two things in life that are certain, but there's three for business owners and it's death taxes. And the third for business owners is you will exit your business. Uh, you should know the, vis- the value of your business before you sell it. Uh, it's very important. Selling your business is not like selling a home. Uh, The transition from owning business to selling it can be one of the biggest decisions of your life. Uh, The number one reason Larry sees people selling his business is burnout. Uh, They're racking up debt, they're changing rules and regulations, your key employee may leave. Uh, Health and age are other big reasons. Uh, Value is the future, value is in future cash flows. Uh, Martin just recapped the five, but I'll give you some tips on the five is if you're looking for industry standards, go to IBIS and compare yourself to the industry standard margins. Uh, it's important to not be the key guy in every aspect of your industry. So hire someone, hire a management team, uh, get your systems written down so they're repeatable. Uh, write your growth strategy down and have detailed steps and deadlines. Uh, diversify your customer base. Create more customers so that your bigger clients make up less of your business. And then we moved into selling your business or buying a business. And having good books is very important for both of those so you can value your business appropriately. Uh, you talked about how you would value businesses. You would come in, recast their expenses and stuff, and then find their bottom line and then see how much it actual, actually costs them to run that business. And value is adjusted profit times a multiple. The multiple is uh, depends as Larry said, and I'm going to end it on have good books because I think that Martin's book job today, it's a very important topic and everyone should know your books. You won't be able to sell your company one day, so keep good books and you may get more money for your business one day. 
That's exactly man. right. Man. Great, Great job. job. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. He does. I'll he just you. does fantastic. Eric, if you ever want to listen to the podcast, just fast forward to the last yeah. five yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah, you can save an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah let me, let, let's well, cut to the chase. We'll, uh, we'll have to bring you back and dive into some specific stories and some specific strategies but thanks for the overview today thanks for uh, you're your so time welcome. and yeah. uh it's been an honor to have you yeah it's been an honor to be here thank yeah. you so much well, appreciate yeah, it i think it's really uh enlightening i mean it's important because there will be people who hear it i hear it so often who would want it what what's your back business who would want it i mean it never crosses their minds yeah whereas if they could work for three years and do some little things Maybe they get a hundred thousand bucks, but that's a lot better than auction proceeds and a closed door. That's right. And walking away from your receivables and having to use your hundred to, I mean, yeah, just get something. Well, and and that and that becomes like your particular uh, profession is the is the one that helps them to get that business up here to where they can sell it for top dollar, and that's the whole goal. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are a lot of subtleties to it, and. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were just shooting the breeze here. <laughs> no, we're still going. Oh, we're still on. I was leaning back in my chair. Uh, there are a lot of subtleties to it that, uh, like the multiple, and they're they're not really subtle subtleties. They're just foreign words. The multiple times profit, huh? And then there's a word out there called EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A, which of course Larry knows. Everybody might have heard that. That's that adjusted profit Larry was talking about. Say earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Then there are, there are some more things, like adding back your Cadillac Escalade payment that you know in your yes in your board meeting in Hawaii and some of those things that. But yeah, the uh, significant difference in in uh, smaller businesses we say SDCF, which is seller's discretionary cash flow, EBITDA. The difference is you've got a management salary added back in EBITDA that you don't typically in smaller businesses. Because the salary is part of their discretionary That's right. Right. And we may may be uh, using words that are a little bit foreign, but these concepts are not. Um, It makes sense. Everybody listening can fully understand it if we have, uh, if, if we just have the opportunity. Yeah. Well, how can people connect with you, Larry? Yeah, well, so uh, the name of my firm is The Hughes Group. Okay. Uh, they can, uh, uh, our website is uh, thehughes-group.com, or they can call me at uh, area code 405-478-3800. Perfect. And it'll be in the show notes, too, so, uh, if they ever want to just click down on the link. Okay. So, yeah. Great. Uh, well, appreciate you having you here. Thank you so much. Well, we hope to have you back again soon. Uh, I'd, be, I'd love to do that. Uh, Thanks, thank Larry. You. Thank you. Tell Becky hi. Thank you. I will. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com. What's up, Cashflow Contractors? Khalil here. Thank you so much for getting to the end of this episode. It means the world to us that you're listening. Uh, I've got a favor to ask. So we are looking for contractors who would like to have a consult, a free consult with myself and with Martin um, for about 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, we'll basically just ask you questions about your business, about what it's like 
for you to work as a contractor, and then we will answer any of your questions specific to your business. Then we'll make that a live episode for other contractors to learn from, to engage with, uh, and we think it's a great way for people to really see clear, uh, specific answers to problems that contractors have. So if that interests you at all, we're not gonna share any of your information. Um, we, you don't even need to say your name on the episode, but I think we wanna get some more of these episodes out there. And if you're willing to do that, we've got a link in the show notes that allows you to just submit a form for a consult, then we'll schedule it with you and record it, and we'll put you live on, on uh, the podcast. So if that interests you, please check it out in the show notes. If not, no worries. Or if you know someone else that you think would be interested in it, send it to them. That'd be great. But appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we hope that you're finding less stress, more time, and more money. Thanks.